a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you'd like to find the book of 1 Peter, please. We're back in our series in 1 Peter, having had a a couple of weeks detour. Uh, Tony was with us uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then we looked at the subject of uh, tithing and giving and finances uh, last week. So we've got to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. And if I can persuade this music stand not to fall down, we'll, uh, we'll read it together. Okay. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfailing beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They are submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him a master. You are her daughters, if you do what is right, and do do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words to us. We thank you for this letter we're studying together that Peter wrote. And we pray now that, Holy Spirit, you'd help us to understand what we've read and you'd come and apply it to our lives. We pray, Lord, that you'd come and be our Help us as we look at these things together. Help me, Lord, as I speak. We pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, you might be glorified and lifted up as we look at your word together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I've called this 
message, submitting to one another. Submitting to one another. So, even though Peter had been teaching the recipients of his letter that they were aliens and strangers in the world. And we looked at that previously, he was saying, you know, like an alien and stranger in the world, you're now a citizen of heaven. Unfortunately, there's no get out from submitting to earthly authorities. And folks, that would include things like paying your taxes as well. Now, there are three main areas that Peter refers to in this passage. And we'll look at each one in turn. He looks at uh, submitting in the nation, at work, and at home. In the nation, at work, and at home. But for the sake of interest and surprise, we'll take the last one first, at home. Mainly because a couple of weeks ago, Tony looked in some detail at the roles of men and women. And if you missed that morning, then you can uh, download the talk from the website. Uh, you can get that. Um, but he, he, he spoke very helpfully on the roles of men and women and went into it in some detail. So I don't want to cover that section particularly in great detail again this morning. What Peter says here is about wives submitting to their husbands and also how the guys should then um, respond to their wives. So it is worth me saying this. Guys, before you too quickly tell your wife to submit to you, before you sort of, sort of elbow her in the ribs and say, here we are, dear, did you notice this verse here? As some of you look like you're doing. Stop it. <laughs> before you do that too quickly, you need to see what it says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Maybe better to say husband loved your wife. I don't think it means you're meant to have many. I think one is plenty. (laughs) But husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So yes, it's clear from scripture, and Tony looked at this in some detail the other week, it's clear that a husband has a role to lead his wife. But guys, loving your wife as Christ loved the church... That's a big ask. Think about it. Jesus gave up everything. Think about what he gave up for a moment. The glory, the majesty of heaven, where he'd always been. There, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the uh, Philippians, uh, talking about Jesus, he says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Why did he do it? Why did Jesus do it? He did it for the church. Did it for the church. And so, yeah, wives, submit to your husband's leads. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And as Peter puts it in uh, verse 7 of chapter 3, treat your wife with respect. And I think if you wanted to look more at that subject, then uh, get Tony's talk from a couple of weeks ago from the website. But I want to spend a bit more time looking at the other two categories. So the first one we've got here is in the nation. In the nation. This is chapter 2, verse 13 through to verse 17. And Peter's first category here 
refers to how we should live as citizens of a particular country. And uh, I guess as Peter is writing these very words, as maybe he's dictating his letter, I'm sure going around in his mind would be the words of Jesus that we read about in Mark chapter 12, where, where Jesus says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Do you remember the, remember the occasion some people had come to, uh, to Jesus really trying to trick him? Really trying to trick him into saying, you know, let's get rid of the Romans, basically. Let's not give anything to them. Let's try and get them out of our country. And how did Jesus respond? Well, he simply said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. You see, there are certain responsibilities that you and I have as a citizen of the United Kingdom. I mean, things like obeying the law, for example. We have to do it. Whether you like it or not, the speed limit around town is 30 miles an hour. Some of you look surprised at that. (laughs) But it is. Things like paying taxes. Things like, you know, paying your tax to the government or or the, uh, the local council. You should pay the tax that is due to the state. That's what Peter's saying here. You should make sure your tax return's correct. Now, yes, you can be efficient with your savings, but tax avoidance is sinful. And often you hear about people talking, don't you, thinking, oh, you know, you hear people talking, I wonder how I can reduce my tax bill. I wonder what I can put on the fall. I wonder, you know, what, what can I write down that I can get away with? Listen, folks, as Christians, that shouldn't be our attitudes. We should be saying, I'm going to pay what's right, what's due, what is Caesar's goes to him. What belongs to the government, it just goes to him. You see, in any, in any society, who should it be, do you think, that's at the forefront of good citizenship, for want of a better phrase? Who is it that should be at the forefront of social change? Who is it that's at the forefront of caring for the poor? Who is it that should be at the forefront of being good neighbours? Who do you think? Should be a Christian, shouldn't it? We should be the ones that are setting an example in things like this. What did Paul say in Romans 13? He said this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And he goes on uh, a little bit later in chapter 13 of Romans. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Pretty simple, isn't it? But we should be the ones not just doing that reluctantly, not grudgingly, but really setting the tone. Giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, giving to the government what belongs to them, and setting the tone and being at the forefront of being good, responsible citizens. Now, Peter's really clear about submitting to earthly authorities. Now, there, there are exceptions. And you get the, a glimpse of these exceptions at the end of chapter 4, where he talks about suffering as a Christian. So, the, the obvious exception is if, the, if a law of the state contravenes a God-given law, then 
who do you need to obey? It's God. So think about, I don't know, for example, situation in some countries where it's illegal to meet together as Christians. What do you do? Do you say, well, the, the state says we can't, so we mustn't? Or do you say, no, God tells us we should? So you think about something like the underground church in China, which said, no, we're going to continue to meet together. And uh, we're going to, t- going to continue to teach what God says and to honour him. And what's happened? Well, you look now at the underground church in China and God has blessed it beyond that which anybody could have imagined. And they've seen tremendous growth and people being saved because they've honoured God. But it's a tricky decision, isn't it? As new frontiers, even within our family, we are planting churches in nations we do not talk about publicly because to do so would endanger the lives of believers in those countries. We're involved in that. It's some people that have gone from various nations around the world are now in places where it's too dangerous to say, oh, they're there. Did you know we're planting a church there? <laughs> we don't do that because it would endanger them. So there are difficult places to serve Jesus on there. For you and I in this country... I'm not going to say it's easy, but we haven't got the sort of state coming down on us in a way that Christians in other countries have. So we can read this and think, I'll give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's, don't like pay my tax, but I've got to do it. And you think, yeah, I'm going to try and set an example in this and do it. And we can think, okay, it's done. Believers in some countries read this and then read about what it is to suffer as a Christian. And it's in a whole different level. Imagine for a moment that a law was passed that instructed everybody to worship an idol of Gordon Brown. Imagine there, right in the centre of every city, there would be a great statue put up and uh, everybody had to come and worship it. Now, it's unlikely, isn't it, I admit. And you would get your usual suspects decrying such law. You'd get the Daily Mail, no doubt, running a campaign against it. Uh, But the question for us as Christians would be, what do we do? What do we do? Well, we go back to God's word and says, what does God's word say? Well, it's very clear, isn't it? God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of everything and anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to it or worship it. You should not bow down to them or worship them. So that's really clear cut there, isn't it? We could say, no, as Christians, we're not going to do that. We're not going to worship something other than God's. Maybe there'll be some consequences. Maybe you remember the story in the book of Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They faced this dilemma, didn't they? When uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who had a tendency to doing rather mad things, uh, made a 90-foot high golden image of himself, or golden image for everyone to worship, and commanded everybody to bow down. They had to make some choices, didn't they? In Daniel 6, Darius rather foolishly proclaimed that everybody should pray to him. But Daniel held out. And these men of God that we read about in our Bibles, they knew who the real power and authority was. And whilst their conscience allowed them, they worked hard and they served. And they think about these guys, they got promoted to to high ranks 
in the government of the day and they were able to serve God in that situation and God blessed them in it. But when the crunch came, when they had to choose between honouring God or saying yes to a rather balmy law, they knew what to do and they chose honouring God. And we would do the same. Maybe actually the challenge for us is situations where it isn't quite as clear cut as that. And maybe that's a situation to pray and ask God, what's he, what, he, what is he saying? But Peter makes it really clear. He makes it very clear that authorities are instituted by God and are servants of him. And we're to obey them as far as our conscience allows us as Christians, providing it doesn't contravene what God has said in his words. So that's in the nation. What about at work? Well, in chapter 2, verses 18 through to 25, Peter talks particularly to those who are slaves. Now, being a slave in, in this sort of situation, the first century world, would have been much more than just a job. It wouldn't be that you were a slave from 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and then you did your own thing. It did not work like that. If you were a slave, that was your life. It was a whole way of life. Now, for the sake of application for us, we'll use it to talk about our work situations. Maybe some of you feel like you're slaves at work. (laughs) But we'll use it in a moment to talk about that. But before we get there, imagine for a moment how your average first century slave would have read this. Or heard about Peter's teaching here. What do you think they would have made of it? I came across this description uh, this week of what life would be like for a first century slave in ancient Rome. It says this, Slavery in ancient Rome differed from its modern day forms in that it was not based on race. But like modern slavery, it was an abusive and degrading institution. Cruelty was commonplace. Slavery had a long history in the ancient world and was practiced in ancient Egypt and Greece as well as Rome. Most slaves uh, during the Roman Empire were foreigners and unlike in modern times, Roman slavery was not based on race. Slaves in Rome might include prisoners of war, sailors captured and sold by pirates, or slaves bought outside Roman territory. In hard times, it was not uncommon for desperate Roman citizens to raise money by selling their children into slavery. All slaves and their families were the property of their owners who could sell or rent them out at any time. Their lives were harsh. Slaves were often whipped, branded or cruelly mistreated. The owners could also kill them for any reason and would face no punishment. Although Romans accepted slavery as the norm, some people, like the poet and philosopher uh, Seneca, argue that slaves should at least be treated fairly. Not a great life really, was it? Now, it's true some slaves were able to live as part of a family and had things provided for them, but they were still slaves. That was still where they were at. So for your slave who is a Christian, and there would have been many, there are some challenges here, aren't there? What does Peter say? He says, submit to your masters with all respect, and not only to those who are kind and considerate either. Now, it would be easy, wouldn't it, if your, if your master, if, your, if the person in charge of the home was kind. Maybe they were a Christian, even themselves. 
That would be much easier, wouldn't it? But Peter tells his readers to submit even to those who are harsh too. Paul gives similar instructions in Ephesians in chapter 6 where he goes on to give instructions to Christian slave masters. That's an interesting one, isn't it? How did that work? How could a Christian be a slave master? From our perspective, that seems abhorrent. But that's the world they were in. But what about us? What about us? What about you and me? Well, slavery like this has been abolished, praise God. Although, too often it's still practiced today. The modern slave trade, people trafficking, is an abhorrence, isn't it? And you and I, we should be playing our part in seeing it stamped out and finally stopped. What about you and I this morning? What about you? What about me? How do Peter's instructions to slaves affect us? Well, for those of us in work, it should give us some instructions in our attitude at work. For example, how do you view your boss? Is he or she kind and considerate? Or are they harsh and difficult? Maybe we could rewrite this to say, people of God's, Treat your boss with respect. Not only if they're good and considerate, but also if they're harsh. That might be how Peter would write to us. Now, I'm not suggesting that you just put up with bullying or abuse, but Peter does expect there to be a certain amount of respect, doesn't he? And we do well to remember that. I mean, how easy is it, for example, at the coffee machine... Or the water cooler in the corner. How easy is it to join in that conversation about your boss and what a rubbish job they're doing and how you don't like them? How easy is it to join in with that? How easy is it to press forward on that email that comes through from one of your disgruntled colleagues complaining once again about their boss? How easy is it to join that online group criticising and making fun out of the management of your company? (laughs) It's easy, isn't it? How easy is it to be at the end of an unfair, maybe even a harsh decision and to be the person that stops some of those things? Friends, this is what Peter's talking about. For you and I, this is the application. This is where the rubber really hits the road for us. We should be known as the most hard-working, reliable, conscientious, trustworthy and faithful employees that your company has. And by doing so, and by having and living up to that reputation, you give glory and honour to God. He says, by your life that you witness to God as much as by what you say. And when we do say something, our actions need to match up to what we say. It's no good thinking, oh yeah, I need to speak for God this week in my workplace and I'll I'll look for an opportunity to to witness for him and to say something for him. (laughs) If just a few moments ago you've been the one around the water cooler hitting forward on that email or what it might be. Guys, our lives need to match up to what we say. 
Peter wants his readers to live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Does that describe you? How would your work colleagues describe you? If we ask some of them this morning. What would they say about you? It's interesting. A few times now, I have come across in different situations work colleagues of some of you. And uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting some of the people that you guys work with. And uh, see you Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, in your work habitats. So you look worried. <laughs> but actually, it's been great. Because the sort of comments that have come back or how some of your colleagues have described you or talked about you has been very complimentary. So well done. You see, you can set the tone in your workplace. If it's a place of backbiting, of slander, of gossip, you can change that. You could set the tone. You could bring some change to that place. Firstly, don't go along with it, obviously. But go further. Seek to change the very culture that you work in. Seek to change what's the accepted standard. Not by going around saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this at people, but by living different. Being the one where that email stops and doesn't get passed on. Being the one who doesn't join in with that conversation or backbite and gossip and comment. You can be a provocation for honesty, trustworthiness and faithfulness. And then when you do say something about Jesus, your life backs up. And you have extra credibility to what you've said. See, godly submission, respect for authority, honouring others, they're not popular subjects, are they, for many of us sometimes. Certainly not for many who wouldn't be in the church It wouldn't be a sort of subject that might necessarily be well received. But listen, you and I, we can be the pace setters here. You can change the very culture of your work environment if you're in work. You can show that it's possible, even beneficial, to live like this. You can be the one who demonstrates what it is. To show proper respect to everyone to love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honour the King. We can do that. So friends, this week I want to encourage us in our work situation. Let's be those ones who do that. I know for me recently, um, you might think, oh, it's easy for you. (laughs) You don't have to to put up with this. Well, for me recently, I'll just tell you a story as we close and as we finish. Uh, Our church office is in uh, an office block where there's a whole number of, um, of different companies, uh, different charities, different companies, all got offices there. And uh, where there's, there's some shared kitchen facilities and a sort of a shared breakout area. And uh, just recently, one or two issues came up in the building and in the management of the building. And uh, people started to moan and complain and uh, talk about others who were, uh, you know, had responsibility for sorting some things out. And I thought, ah, this is a test from me now. 
Now, now I have a choice. What do I do? Do I join in that conversation and go, you know what, I've been moaning about that for ages as well, and I'm sick and tired of them not doing that. Or do I say, oh, okay. Am I going to be the one that says, no, it's going to stop here? Am I going to be the one that actually perhaps goes back to the individual's concern and says, do you think there's a problem we can try and resolve here? <laughs> do you think we can try and sort of put some things right? Did you know that this had happened? And not gossip about others, but just try and resolve situations so that it's not then brought up. It's not dealt with. And we, it seems to have this quite a, quite a bit recently. And uh, many of the issues have now been resolved, which is great. But I stood in that kitchen and I thought, ah, this is what it means. This is exactly what it means. I know for many of you, you'd work in a situation where maybe you're the only Christian in the office. Maybe you're the only person that loves Jesus on your team. You might think, oh, I haven't got that, you know, <laughs> that challenge. Well, the challenge came a different way to me recently. But friends, maybe for you, even this week, you'll get an opportunity to show proper respect to everyone, to love God and to honour him in your daily life as you seek to witness for him. Let's stand and we'll pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Peter's instructions to us. And Lord, whilst we might be in a different situation, a different culture and time, thank you, Lord, for the timeless truths of your word. Thank you, Father, that we can still apply them to our lives and seek to honour you as we do so. And so I pray even this week you'd help us with these things, help us to honour you, help us to show proper respect. Father, would we uh, have, live lives that honour you as much as what our words say. Lord, that you might be glorified in us, in this city and beyond. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.